CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, everybody. You are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if we're in your ears, you're listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We got Will Foxley, Wendy O, and Adam B. Levine on the show to talk about this crazy crypto world. So, Will, I think you are kicking us off. What do you got? Voyager Digital down 99% from their all-time high. They're filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the Southern District Court of New York, saying that they have about 10,000 creditors that they owe money to, and they have assets between $1 and $10 billion, as well as liabilities in the same range. It's a huge blow for the firm that's actually publicly listed up in Canada. It also trades here in the United States over the counter. They are basically the fault of Three Arrows Capital. They lended out about 60% of their order book, according to some reports, to Three Arrows Capital, which Three Arrows Capital also took out a large portion of other lending markets, notably Celsius is one people are looking at. It's not confirmed, but people are definitely looking at that. This is huge news just to see another lender go out, especially one that is publicly listed. Adam, I want to throw this one over to you just since you've been in the space for so long. When you're looking at some of these publicly listed firms that are not having wipeouts, what does that tell you from a traditional financial standpoint? Was it wise to list these companies when they had such opaque information behind the books and behind the screen? What I can say and what I think we're all seeing is that there was a lot of much riskier behavior going on behind the scenes as the market really got to be kind of just so large. It grew so fast that as many people were kind of looking for significant returns against their crypto, that's a much easier game to play when you're dealing with smaller sort of sizes. And as those sizes got larger, we saw these companies in hindsight taking increasingly large and in also hindsight, not very good idea risk sort of moves. And now we're kind of seeing them pay for it. One other thing that I think just came out is that they have actually been halted on the exchange in which they were listed while the exchange is looking to see whether now that they have formally declared bankruptcy, they're actually qualified to be listed. So the news could get worse. It's also been kind of interesting to see the price. Price didn't really move on this. And it kind of speaks to sort of some of the enthusiasm that I think has been beaten out of these markets over the last couple of weeks, where even something like this, which I would bill as a pretty momentous sort of moment for kind of the DeFi lending players, didn't really seem to move markets at all. So that, I thought that was pretty interesting. Jen, what's your read? Yeah, so I focused in on the marketing aspect of this story, right? So the story points to Voyager's marketing material and said that the investor deposits were protected by Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation insurance. So that's what it said in the marketing material. 
And while that's true, the insurance didn't cover cash converted to stable coins. And this just, I think, is a reminder to every company in this space that marketers need to understand what's going on behind the scenes. They need to understand the products and they shouldn't be pushed to the corner and be those like crazy people who tell stories and spend a bunch of money for God knows what reason. The marketers are your first line of defense. And if they are telling an incorrect story, when things like this happen, it's just the icing on the cake when you're being scrutinized, right? And if your marketers understand what's going on, they can have plans in place for crisis situations. They can work with your PR firms. And so this story was just, I think anyone who's looking at how to do marketing well in the industry should look at what's happened here and what's happened with a lot of other firms as we head into the bear market and companies are liquidating because of three arrows capital and understand that your marketers should be involved in every single process and aspect of your business. But Will, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I like the point that you brought up. I'm going to riff on it a little bit more before tossing up to Wendy. When you have this intersection of crypto, which is very laissez-faire, very free, anything goes, it's okay. The casino is embraced in a lot of ways. In traditional finance, where there are rules and regulations on the books, and there is the government law, and you can go to jail if you mess up things, those two things don't squish well together, right? You can't just shove them together and expect them to work functionally. And so when you go on to Voyager's website, and you see that they have FDIC insurance. A lot of people are saying, oh, like my crypto is backed by FDIC. That is not the case at all. FDIC does not do that. FDIC only covers dollars. They don't even cover stable coins, right? And so a lot of these people who are walking into Voyager and they're expecting to get FDI insurance, they didn't get that. And they're not going to get that because it's only going to cover dollars that are sitting in Voyager's bank accounts on their behalf. And so it's pretty frightening if you're looking at it from an outside perspective. It's also pretty understandable if you're somebody who's a client of theirs to get caught in that trap. And then from Voyager's perspective, it's like, yes, do a better job with your marketing. Don't speak more than what you're able to do in the real sense. It's troubling to see that. I do see how it's like, that could happen though, right? Like this happens in the real world. People make mistakes with marketing campaigns. They don't check things out with legal. And then you get yourself into a world of hurt like we're seeing right now. Wendy, I'll toss it to you. And then I saw Adam's hand also go up. One of the things that I want to say about this is I find it very interesting that the SEC went after a company like Ripple, but didn't really kind of do their job and try to regulate these exchanges or give some sort of gray area. And I'm not blaming it on the SEC to what Voyager did with their funds behind the scenes because all this stuff kind of just came out recently that they were working with Three Arrows Capital or whatever the deal was and that they were practicing risky behavior. So it's really, and I'm sure that more things are going to come out, but my question is, is why hasn't the SEC, the SEC had time to come out and to give some sort of guidelines? And it's also very interesting to me that they were a publicly listed product. You can go ahead and trade them, et cetera, and that all of this is happening now. So I know we know that they had legal, we know that they had different people kind of helping with them. And there's, they really look like a professional company. I have funds there. So I've written those funds off. I know I'm not going to get them back. It's part of the game. It is what it is, unfortunately. But I think that we know that we are going to see regulation come into the crypto space very, very heavily, but we just don't know when exactly. And hopefully they do something before the next cycle, because as far as I can see from my mentions, especially like on TikTok and YouTube, all the platforms I am, retail's tired. Retail is really, really tired. And it's just a really awful, terrible thing what's happening. And hopefully once Chapter 11 bankruptcy, once this long process is done, people can get some sort of access to some of their funds, because I know they're going to be doing different restructuring. I don't have that data in front of me right now. So let me jump in here. Responses to both what Wendy said and to what Will said. Wendy, with regards to the SEC, Voyager is a company that was publicly listed in Canada. So it's a Canadian Mm -hmm. company, which means that the SEC 
like depending on what type of activities they take, there are some ways for them to go after them. But it probably is a different regulator in the U.S. And again, it probably comes down to sort of this question about lending, right? Question about like bank-like activities. So that might even wind up being the Federal Reserve or something like that, who actually winds up having the regulatory authority there. It definitely is something where we're going to see these types of actions catalyze more attention at the regulatory level really across the country and across the world because it presents a pretense, which is not unreasonable to actually do so. And so, again, regulators are kind of constantly looking for ways to figure out how to put the rules in place that they want in a way that they can justify. This gives them a lot of ammunition. And then one final note before we move on to the next story, Will. Actually, so I thought that I understood FDI insurance this morning when I was on the uh, senior editor's call and had the understanding that you did. And I actually found out that I was wrong about that. And so the impression that I had going in was that crypto wasn't covered, but dollar balances would be covered if you were holding dollar balances with Voyager. In practice, that's actually not what FDIC is going to do here. Instead, what it would do is if the bank that Voyager used had failed, then it would be covered. But Voyager losing the money is not covered by the FDIC. So even dollar holders in this circumstance are not covered by the FDIC. Yeah. And certainly, to Jen's point, the way that it was portrayed certainly seems to be misleading. And again, as a reminder, I wouldn't necessarily put it on marketing. I would put it on you know, there's a lot of money to be made from helping people to understand the best possible version mm-hmm. of your product. And I think that a lot of people just fall victim to that. So this is more about that than anything else. Yeah, Wendy. I just want to chime in. If it wasn't properly displayed, isn't that a legal issue with their legal department? Wasn't that oh, they not... They definitely um, have... I mean, they definitely have legal issues in their future, I think. Mean, like <laughs> the results of, of this are going to be right. playing out in court for a while. But my point was, is why, because they have to have a legal team, all these exchanges, they have to have a legal team, especially if you want to operate in the United States. So my question is, why didn't legal advise marketing on a better way to express this to consumers through the terms of services? Great question, Wendy. (laughs) We see that happen in the traditional world, but I think in the crypto world, you know, sometimes we don't follow the same processes that I, I don't. Other I don't know. I got to disagree there because a lot of the exchanges are heavy, like I can't even say heavily regulated anymore. But that's what it seemed like because I've got a bunch of different legal crypto firms on retainer because I want to make sure what I'm doing is up to code, like I'm doing everything properly because I talk about crypto all the time. But I just don't understand why what happened, what the miscommunication was between legal and marketing, because generally they work hand in hand to make sure what is being displayed to the public is displayed accurately and concisely. So I'll just say that the math winds up making sense for there is partly about what the lawyers think. But if you try and have lawyers make these decisions, then they basically won't let you do anything. Uh, If you so it really comes down to kind of like a business decision where it's a question of how much are you going to listen to the lawyers? How much are you going to listen to your marketers? And where does kind of the balance fall in amongst all of that? And clearly, I think we're seeing that they made decisions that bias more towards the risky side. And I think that we're going to see that play out. Ethics Watchdog bars U.S. government employees from writing crypto policy if invested. And I believe that this is the de minimis exemption. But basically, federal employees who have invested less than 50000 in a mutual fund with exposure to the crypto sector will still be allowed to work on crypto-related policies. But officials who hold up to 50000 in mutual funds that include crypto companies can still work on policies. If they hold above that, then they can't, which I think is kind of counterproductive because don't you want people who are well-versed on how this crypto ecosystem works? when you're putting laws into place that could potentially change things. And also, too, this law applies to all federal government agencies, including the United States Treasury, the Federal Reserve, the White House, 
And apparently there is a Biden tech advisor, Tim Wu, who holds millions of dollars in Bitcoin who will not be able to, to do this. I saw Will's hand go up. So let's get into it. Will, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a very interesting new regulation for government employees. And this actually matches a lot of conversations in journalism circles as well. A lot of mainstream media outlets don't allow their reporters to hold assets for conversations that they're having with people. So if you're covering like airplane stocks, typically you're not allowed to hold airplane stocks in your portfolio, or at the very least, you have to heavily disclose that you are long or short certain stocks. Coindesk has its own rules and regulations for how much crypto you can hold, how much you can disclose, stuff like that. And some outlets out there don't allow anyone to hold any crypto, mainstream and crypto rags themselves. So I think a lot of this is just pretty mundane, like you're expected to see this. The interesting thing is when you toss it back to Congress, right, which Congress has tried in the past to regulate itself, tried to regulate itself around equities, stock holdings, and it's never gone through. And there's a lot of people within Congress who have made a lot of money over the last few years with stocks, and I'm sure crypto as well. And they're not necessarily recused from holding those things. This also reminds me of a story from, I think, six months ago or so about Federal Reserve employees who were also making stock choices right before very consequential Fed decisions came out. A lot of those Fed policymakers uh, were asked to resign or just chose to resign themselves after that information came to light. But what you're seeing, Wendy, is basically people with low integrity needing to be pushed into places of integrity. They don't typically are asked to do this. And so now they have to have this ethics guideline go through. Yeah, I'm with Wendy on this one. I read this and I just thought this is silly. I think probably last year we spoke about something similar. And Naomi Brockwell said, well, if you have the U.S. dollar, should you not work on financial policy? And so I'm just going to kick it back to Naomi. I think this is silly, but Will, to your point, it makes sense. We've seen this before, and I think it's something that we should have expected. It's just so interesting to me. We see these policymakers, we see Congress, they keep saying, you know, they're looking for more information. They have these committees that are out there gathering information. They're educating themselves. And to me, educating yourself on how something works would start at using it. If we're making policy for end users, wouldn't we want that policy to be made by people who have used that thing that we're trying to regulate so they can understand the real risks associated? So Wendy, I'm with you. But Adam, I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I think that the conversation about this topic has actually been great and has kind of covered both sides of the issue here. The thing that I would add is this about appearance of conflicts of interest more than it is about actual conflicts of interest. And what we see here is an inconsistent application of the policy across multiple sectors, which in reality are quite similar in terms of if you're invested in a thing, well, then you might be predisposed to having, you know, uh, policies and to making rules that are more supportive of the thing that you hold. That's true no matter whether you're talking about crypto or you're talking about, you know, congressional trading or you're talking about any of these other things. The Federal Reserve thing was Federal Reserve Board of Governors. So these are literally the, you know, the smartest, most well-qualified people in the room who are making decisions that drive what markets are going to do in a very real sense over the last number of years due to the monetary policy that we've had, who are then trading on that knowledge in advance. And so again, when this comes out, then you see these types of, you know, like, oh, we should ban this and stuff like that. But the real kind of people who have the power and who really abuse this power, they're never going to regulate themselves against these things. And so you just wind up with this sort of like, well, it's the law so long as it's not a thing that we care about. And if it is a thing that we care about, then we're going to make rules that treat ourselves differently than we would apply to other people. So it's unfortunately consistent that government does this. Power likes power. 
and power likes to keep power. And that's what you see over and over again with these types of topics. Wendy, back to you. The only thing that I want to point out is when I think about cryptocurrency compared to stocks, with crypto, a lot of these projects, they have some sort of utility, like you actually need to play around with it to understand how it works. Like you can talk about an NFT all you want. You could talk about smart contracts. You could talk about using Ethereum or Solana or Cardano or whatever it is. You could talk about a DAO. You could talk about running nodes. But unless you actually do it yourself, it doesn't necessarily click because we're talking about utilizing something that's intangible as opposed to going to McDonald's or getting on a plane or whatnot. So that's my only gripe that I have is I feel like I would want people who know how this stuff works that actually have played around with it because I'm more of a user. I like to get my hands dirty. That's just me though, but go ahead, Adam. There's been a line of thinking very much similar to what you just said there, that it would be better to have people making the rules who understand the technology in a way that is more kind of actionable than like some sort of high level technical understanding, but is instead like understands the nuances of the thing. That was the story behind SEC chair Gary Gensler. He went into kind of the private sector, taught about blockchain, was very much recognized as an expert, got into power in a position of power, uh, you know, to actually regulate the space and has been worse than the regulators who didn't know what they were doing, has not added any extra clarity. So, I mean, like you, I, I could give you a laundry list of examples like this of, of people who know better, but when they're put in a position of power intentionally or at least seemingly intentionally do the opposite of the thing that you would want. But what, what are you, you thinking? Man. I mean, well, it's, that's, it's, that's there's a lot of pressure. Because, that's because the SEC is currently battling against Ripple and they do not want to disclose a lot of different things to the public or during the case. So that's the only thing that I'm going to say about that. We'll talk about it more on my channel. I actually should have you guys on to debate this more because I could go on Ooh. about this topic like Like the long, after long hours? Hash. Yeah, XRP we should do after hours. hours. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Markets and policymakers had hoped to see the top line number for new employment in June come in somewhere between 175 and 250,000 jobs added. But the results were actually much better, showing an increase of nearly 375,000 jobs for the month. Now, you'd think that good news would be well received by markets, but in practice, that's often not how things work in the sort of modern era. That's because central bankers have pumped so much money over the years into markets indirectly through supportive monetary policy. That when times are good and central banks have to ease off, well, that's actually bad for markets. But there's another thing in today's report that is a little bit strange. While the most watched numbers, known as the establishment survey, showed more growth than the central bankers would prefer, the household survey breaks things out a little bit more and showed basically the opposite, with full-time and part-time workers dropping by 152,000 and 326,000 respectively in the month of June, while those who hold multiple jobs rose by 239,000. So the number of people working, according to the survey, went down pretty significantly in June, even as the number of jobs that were filled went up. It's also worth noting that in the month of June, workers who hold multiple jobs and work full-time hours at at least two of them hit a all-time record high. So it's good news, that's bad news, but actually the good news is also bad news uh, <laughs> once you actually start looking at the data. Uh, that was a lot of numbers. Will, <laughs> I see your hand up. What, what do you think here? Yeah, this is really, really interesting, right? And we've been in a weird economic paradigm for over two years now. So since March 2020, when we saw the COVID pandemic hit the United States, hit the country with the highest GDP, we've seen that the economic picture has just continued to swap between different paradigms that we don't quite understand, right? So at first, we had a lot of people lose their jobs. And then the stock market went down a ton. And then a few weeks later, the stock market was hot as ever. People started getting their jobs back. People started working remotely. The governments are printing a ton of money, literally mailing checks to people in order to get them the money they need to, to go along with their lives. 
And then two years later, we have this inflationary crisis and people are blaming on Ukraine. They're blaming on like oil embargoes. But other people in the Bitcoin community are looking at this being like, oh, they're money printing. Like that is the cause of all this. And now we're looking at a picture where people think there's going to be a recession or we are going to be classified as being in a recession for the last two quarters. We're waiting on a little more data from this quarter before we can say we're in a recession. Stock market has definitely taken a hit since March, or really since January, the Fed news came out. But at the same time, unemployment has been like pretty stubborn, right? Like it's hovering around 3.5%. And most economists say around 4%, 4-5% is actually considered full employment for an economy. So we're actually skirting below it and doing pretty well. So it's weird to be in this spot because a lot of the big macro pulls and like the levers we look at, not really budging, right? They're just, they're doing whatever they want. Inflation doesn't seem to be coming down, but employment seems to be doing pretty well. The stock market is down. It's just a very weird spot to be in. Wendy, I want to get your take on this though. Definitely an interesting headline and pretty optimistic one. So this is the thing. All of these numbers, I don't think they're very transparent to the public. And when they actually take into account that they stop adding people that are actually in the workforce, because I don't know the statistics with that, but I know that at a certain time after six months or three months or whatever it is, when somebody stops working or stops collecting unemployment, they don't add them to those numbers. So all these numbers we're seeing, I don't trust them. I know for a fact that we are in a recession. You can see it in the stores. Like the Costco by my house, there's literally nothing there. There's no one in there. The Walmart by my house, no stock of anything. Nobody's in there. You can see it on the streets. You can actually see it on the streets. Also too, another thing that they're not talking about, there's still a moratorium in Los Angeles County. And basically what that means is people do not have to pay their rent. And if you don't have people that are paying their rent and you don't have people that have to work to pay their rent or to pay their mortgages, they don't need to get a job. There's no point for them to get a job. I see job signs all over LA County. I'm not just talking about one city. I'm talking about literally every single city. There's job signs everywhere. There's a lot of people who are not out there working or actually looking for it. And I don't blame them. Why would you look for work when you don't have to pay your rent? So that's something interesting to kind of keep in mind. And I know I don't have the data on this because the data is not available. And it's also very hard to find. And it's also very hard to track. So we know that they printed a bunch of money. We're also in a very, very unique situation because we were literally closed down for almost two years, almost two years. So of course, there's still going to be some repercussions for that. And plus all the money that they've printed in the last, I think it was in 2021, if someone wants to correct me on that, but they printed so much money. And then with the stimulus checks, I view those as hush money. And it's basically telling people, we're going to give you $2,000 because you're a good boy or girl. You paid your taxes. You did what you're supposed to do. You're poor. We're going to give you this hush money. And then what they did is they actually spent a lot more money and they bailed out a lot of these large corporations, which is a whole another issue. So we're seeing this used as a way to kind of keep people quiet without really paying attention to what is actually going on behind the scenes. I do think things are going to get a lot worse, unfortunately. I worked through 2008. I saw exactly what happened. And the interesting thing during the whole 2008 housing crash is I was in school that time to get my certification to work in healthcare. I had people, I had like grown adults, like, cause I was young at that time. I had grown adults that were leaving their six figure job because they got fired because of the housing crash to get some certification so that they can earn like $15 an hour working in healthcare. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that happen again. And I just, it just not, this whole thing is just not sitting right with me, especially the way that the media is portraying things, the stuff that we're seeing the president say, the stuff that we're seeing all these statistics that they're saying as well. So I love this perspective. I have to tell you, Wendy, it's always, always great to find people who don't trust the government as much as I do. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I talk about these types of numbers, right, and we bring up stories like this, I like to say that these are the official numbers. And that is an accurate statement that correctly sort of frames them. 
but it leaves out some additional context that we do talk about on this show from time to time and in other areas where I talk about this type of stuff, which is that when you're talking about how the kind of the measuring sticks that we use to measure productivity, to measure how happy we are, to measure, frankly, how well the government is performing on our behalf, what you find if you go back in history is that they change these numbers and they change these numbers in terms of how they're calculated. And they say that it's for reasons that are all very good. But the net effect of those changes tends to be that the government looks like they're doing a better job. So what you're talking about in terms of the numbers that aren't in this is the labor participation rate. And the labor participation rate has to do with how many people in the country actually are employed in percentage terms. That is excluded for the most part from these types of statistics. So the reason why it's worth talking about this stuff, in my opinion, is because even by the rigged metrics that the government puts out to make them look good, <laughs> they still don't look good, right? And this sort of dichotomy between, on the one side, the official kind of establishment survey that I talked about, and then the household survey, that shows you, again, like the one that they're putting out there significantly is the one that makes them look like they're doing a better job. And they're not going to emphasize the other one. You have to go looking for that one. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.